I don't know whether I'll be able to teach class today or not. Uh, I got a lot of mail to read. I really uh, want to express my appreciation to all of you for uh, your kind thoughts and some of these sweet notes. We, we're just very, very thankful for the way the, the Lord has used this class through the years. And, uh, we have seen some interesting things happen. It's always been exciting to us to see how God uses his word and uses uh, even weak instruments. I always said that if, Sam, if God could use the jawbone of an ass in Samson's hand, then he could use me. And uh, we really believe that these are exciting days where the Lord is, is teaching us all a so great many things. It stands in stark contrast to the compromise of the world. We really appreciate your response to God's word, and I'm sure my wife does as well, and just on her behalf and as well as my own, let me say thank you for a good year and thank you for your kindness and thinking of us as well. We're, of course, moving into a, into a new phase next year, and we want you to understand and know that uh, we're, we personally have not at all been... Uh, dissatisfied with uh, what we've done thus far. We feel we've been led of the Lord, but we always want to remain sensitive. I uh, originally determined that I'd teach this class for one year um, with no intention of going beyond that. Uh, and uh, let's see, was that uh, nine years ago or eight years ago, something like that? It was different with a men's class. I always had intended that that be an ongoing thing. Uh, but in this class, it was uh, sort of a one-shot deal that uh, became two, three, four, five, six, and so on. And uh, two years ago, we made some changes by offering um, elective, an additional elective class. And then this year, several elective classes. We've been very pleased with the response to that. Uh, it's, uh, it's been exciting to see what God has done. Needs have continued to be met. Uh, people have continued to be reached. A number of people have come to know the Lord. Uh, during this year, many people have seen uh, some real change in their uh, attitudes and so on, and uh, some real changes in, in their homes. We've received just all kinds of correspondence from you, some of it anonymously and some of it uh, with names attached, telling of some of the things that God has done, not only through this class but through the other elective classes. And we praise the Lord for that. And uh, I, I suppose that we could just go on like this uh, year after year and continue to see needs met. But it's our, it's our purpose and our desire to uh, be even more effective and uh, to, to be sensitive to uh, various needs and uh, methodology that can be useful. And uh, we're not afraid to do a little experimenting and see what happens. And so therefore, we um, determined that we would uh, put together uh, program and we started on this last fall and uh, prayerfully considered it. Have talked with a number of others. Uh, have been in touch with uh, our friends at uh, Grace Community Church of the Valley in Panorama City. Uh, they've got a program called Every Woman's Grace, um, which is uh, uh, exciting uh, title. We we thought well every 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 woman's valley though doesn't do too well, does it? So we uh, we couldn't name it that. But uh, in any event, we, uh, uh, Gloria and I both have been uh, involved in, uh, in uh, putting together ideas that we could uh, consider, and we came up with Discovery. And uh, Discovery is uh, the program that uh, we'll have for next year. The response that we've gotten from last week's announcement has been overwhelming. Um, we've already received uh, indication of a lot of others that I have perhaps been involved on one of the mornings who are really excited because we've got all of the activities on one morning rather than two. Uh, and uh, uh, the uh, nursery workers uh, fainted, but after that they were all right uh, because uh, they, they, of course, are going to have a tremendous task. Uh, we are uh, putting the program in such a way that uh, instead of... Uh, um, missing some of the vacations, which when we started out, the vacation time uh, was quite simple. Everybody, all the schools had their vacations, their winter vacations, as an example, spring vacations, same week. Now all of a sudden, everybody's different. 
and it's really caused confusion. We tried to stick with the idea of when the Cupertino School District was out, but a lot of you are outside the Cupertino School District. So we, we, we decided, well, we just ignore that, and what we're going to do this year is go right through with the program and uh, provide, during vacation periods, we're going to provide something for the youngsters of school age uh, so that there'll be a, a special program for them each time and uh, that will give us an opportunity to minister to them as well as to you. And we just have done a lot of things along this line. And uh, most of all, we're going to be able to uh, do some, some teaching and give you the opportunity a lot of you have been concerned about uh, to discuss and uh, spend some time in, in uh, uh, rapping about uh, that which is, has been taught and uh, doing it w under some supervision, under some leadership, uh, so that you'll be able to uh, relate your own needs to that particular situation. We believe that, as well, these practical courses are going to be good. And some of you that don't like uh, the handcraft type of things will be providing a class in scripture memory, uh, providing a, a class that will be virtually another Bible study on various topics and themes, and um, uh, perhaps uh, some counselor training, uh, in the future, these kind of things will be available, and we're, we just have uh, a lot of things we want to do, and uh, the beautiful thing is that it's already shaping up very nicely in terms of uh, people to, to handle some of this. Uh, we've got a, a list as long as your arm of classes that are available and people to do them. It's simply a matter of finding this and setting priorities and so on. So uh, if you would help us by just giving us your name and address. We'll use it for this mailing only. We will not put you on a mailing list so you get junk mail from Valley Church. We don't believe in doing that. If you'll put your name and address on here, we'll give you information so that you want this because there'll be sign-ups and there'll be limits as far as the size of some of those classes. And you want to have a chance to uh, know when the sign-ups are and be able to uh, get your name in the, the class that you really want. We don't want you to be disappointed. And if there are other suggestions that you have of classes that you would like to see done, then just please put that down at the bottom and tear that off and put it in the offering plate today, and it would be a real help to us. Also, right after class, as you know, uh, we will be having a luncheon, and uh, uh, we're sorry, but um, the tickets are all gone. If you didn't get signed up, then uh, a word to the wise is sufficient. Next time get your tickets early. We uh, really are thankful for the response that we've had to this luncheon, and and uh, I think you'll uh, enjoy it. It's going to be a good time, and uh, they have a, um, I don't know, some kind of a gal that tells you what colors you're supposed to wear with your shaped face and stuff like that. I don't understand that. Nobody ever told me what clothes I should wear with my shaped face or my color of eyes or anything like that. So I don't know. Maybe that's something women are more interested in than men. But uh, uh, they didn't invite me anyway. They didn't even offer. Didn't even offer to sell me a ticket. So I'm sure you'll have a great time. Now let's have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll see if we can wind up today. I hate to do that, but uh, we're going to have to. So let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege, the joy of knowing you. Lord, we do very, very much want to honor you and to serve you in everything that we do. But Lord, there are so many forces round about us that would simply uh, point to those things that, that are of the flesh and of the devil and of this world. And it seems as though their, their attraction is so great and luring. And Lord, we find our eyes wandering. We pray, Lord, that you'll just help us to not be interested in the superficial, shiny glitter that Satan offers as he appears to us disguised as an angel of light. Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to be very, very wise in discerning. We pray that Christ will be glorified and honored and that we'll learn what we should be. And we'll be willing to make any sacrifices that we have to in order to be the very best for you. We'll praise you for this. In Christ's precious name, amen. Now, we began talking last week
about the fact that once in a while, in fact, too often, there will be inconsistencies in discipline. There will be a husband who uh, perhaps is too rough on the children and uh, and often will will discipline them wrongly or in anger. And uh, when the wife takes the side of the child against the husband, it builds rebellion in the life of the child and uh, causes real problems and grieves the husband's spirit. Husbands are frustrated sometimes with not knowing how to be a husband. You know, one of the problems, one of the problems that you have in regard to parents is that you just get to the place where you know how to do it and the kids are grown up and gone. You know, that's... Uh, I think that's one reason why God makes it very clear in his word that we're to invest not only in our children, but in our grandchildren. Because you see, the grandchildren, uh, they have the chance of having you as an experienced person whenever you have the opportunity to have them. And you are, are then uh, perhaps a little more capable. It's too bad that children have to be placed in the hands of amateurs. But uh, uh, the, the scripture makes it very clear that that it's a very it's a learning process for both parent and child, and uh, children learn how to bring their parents up, just like parents learn how to bring their children up. And uh, there's a tremendous danger when a wife uh, begins to rebel against her husband's authority, even in regard to the matter of discipline. So we talked a bit about this whole matter of what the husband ought to do um, for the sake of the husbands that may listen to these tapes or just to encourage you that there is an answer for them as God teaches it to them. Not your pro problem to teach them. It's God's problem, and God will do it in due course. But there are two very basic principles. One is that when you maintain a proper attitude, your child will tend to respond positively. You can teach him proper attitudes even in the midst of the particular problems that he faces. And uh, at the same time, uh, we, we want to be uh, realizing that God does not want you to develop bitterness in your own heart. He does not want you to wrongfully see this matter of discipline. He wants you to understand that whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and that there is a pattern involved in the disciplinary process, some of which we don't always understand, but nevertheless it has a purpose. So we turn to Hebrews 12, and I want you to look there again, if you will, because the thing that is the real key to all of this is the passage immediately following this uh, verse 11, which talks about the afterward, the aftermath. Afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them who are exercised by it. And it is the exercise that is so vital and so important and really tells you what you can do, what you can do for those that are under chastisement. I'd like to suggest to you that this is something not only for your children, but there are many, many other ways you could use this information. Perhaps you know someone that's going through suffering. Maybe it seems like unjust suffering. What is it that you can do for them? And what is it that you can do for your children without contradicting the husband's authority? Well, the answer is this. First of all, it says in verse 12, Wherefore, lift up the hands that hang down. Strengthen the feeble knees. Here's somebody in danger of collapse. What is it that you can do? If you look at Isaiah 35, you'll see that this is a quote from Isaiah 35, which gives you additional information. Verse 3 tells us, strengthen the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. That's the same basic thought as is given here in Hebrews 12. Then it says, say to those that have a fearful heart, be strong. Give them encouragement. Tell them to fear not. There are 365 fear nots in the Bible. 365 of them. They're not always just the exact words fear not, but uh, they're uh, in each case... It has the idea of fear with the negative in the text. 365 of them. That's one for every day of the year. You teach someone to fear not by teaching them the fear nots of the Bible. You go through and find as many as you possibly can and share those with the person. They don't have to fear. Behold, by the way, perfect love casts out fear, doesn't it? Perfect love casts out fear. So you have to learn that mature love, 
that God talks about in his word. So therefore, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. You teach them that God ultimately cares for these problems. You show them the end of the wicked in Psalm 73 and things of this nature. You, you speak about the deliverance of God. He will come and save you. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And so on and so on and so forth. So forth. And verse 8 says, and, and a highway shall be there, and a way, and shall be called the way of holiness, and the unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring man, though fools shall not enter therein, or err therein. Now, the thing that you have to realize is this passage in Isaiah 35 is a passage dealing with the millennium. What is the millennium? The millennium is the earth when Christ rules. It's the earth when Christ rules. Will there be problems in the millennium? Yes. No curse in the millennium. No weeds in the garden. The lion will lie down with the lamb. There won't be warfare. But Christ will reign and there'll still be problems. There'll be rebellion. Oh, it'll be put down very quickly. Capital punishment will be utilized in a righteous way. There'll be righteous judgment. There'll still be problems in the millennium. There'll be unbelievers in the millennium. Just believers come into the millennium, but then they have kids. And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And uh, the result is that there will be people that, uh, will, that will rebel. And uh, ultimately, when Satan is released at the end of the millennium, there will be a whole host of people that will follow Satan, in spite of the fact that they've had a thousand years of Christ's rule, of righteous rule, of peace and equity and all of those things. And uh, they still will rebel. Why? Because the heart is deceitful. In fact, the purpose of the millennium primarily is to demonstrate that in, in a perfect environment, man still has a deceitful heart. In a perfect environment. See, the millennium is not heaven. And the end comes after that. And then comes the final resurrections and all the rest. And by the way, the church of Jesus Christ doesn't have to worry during the millennium we will already have a resurrection bodies we like Christ the result is that we are going to uh, we're going to have a, uh, a place of authority a place in carrying out Christ's demands and so we're in a different status you don't have to worry about that but people who are living on earth the earth dwellers during the time of the millennium the people that are alive at that time and a part of the tribulation saints that are still alive they'll go into the millennium still have children continue to live for uh, their longevity will be great death will be very a very seldom thing and uh, there'll be this great rebellion at the end of the millennial period well, I've said all that that I shouldn't have gotten into that there's a whole lot of doctrine that has to be taught on that but let me say this what I'm getting at is is this point the millennium is where Christ reigns now that is true literally there will be a literal millennium he will reign on this earth from Jerusalem Literally. Don't ever th minimize that. But I want you to understand something. The believer in Jesus Christ can enjoy millennial blessings right now when Christ reigns in his life. It doesn't mean you won't have any problems. It just sim simply means that Christ is king. And when Christ is king, that is the equivalent of millennium. What you teach people, and see, the, the New Testament took a millennial verse and applied it to a present circumstance. Isn't that interesting? That's good exegesis. It's good application. Interpretation, it has to do with the millennium. Application, it can have to do with people right now. You can strengthen the feeble knees. Why? By teaching them that when Christ reigns, these things will be true. And they'll be true literally on earth for all of the earth when Christ rules and reigns on the earth. And when he rules and reigns in your heart, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear illness. You don't have to feel, fear sickness. You don't have to fear, fear uh, the terrors of men. You don't have to fear to go out at night. You don't have to have any of those things. And if you're under a tremendous burden and tremendous pressure, you can claim the promises that God has where Christ rules, where Christ reigns. By the way, you can also live according to the conduct that God expects for the millennium. That's, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. And if Christ reigns, that's what he demands. And it will be the Magna Carta of the millennium. It's also the Magna Carta for the Christian right now. So don't cast off the Sermon on the Mount as something that's for another age. 
it has application to us today as well. That's why next year, in the first semester, we're going to be talking about B attitudes. Attitudes that will make you be what you ought to be from the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, that's going to be uh, the first uh, short course that we're going to give. All right. Now, turn back to Hebrews 12 then. The first thing you do is lift up the hands that hang down, strengthen the feeble knees, give them what they need to encourage them. Encourage your children in spite of the trial. You can encourage your child even when he's been unjustly treated. That's what the Bible does many, many places. And just remember that if he's been unjustly treated by his father, you don't tell him you've been unjustly treated by your father. You rather tell him, son, daughter, listen. What you need to realize is that life is filled with things you don't understand. And there'll be many times that you think you've been unjustly treated. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But God wants you to have the kind of character that can respond positively to even unjust treatment. And then you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and show how Christ responded to unjust treatment and teach that child how to learn to trust Christ in the middle of all kinds of trials and problems. Secondly, make straight paths for your feet. Now notice what it says. Make straight paths for your feet so you don't lead others astray. You don't want the lame to be turned out of the way. You have to begin to teach a person that his life and his influence on other people is always a present thing. You cannot avoid, you cannot avoid the alarming fact that your life is going to influence someone else always. And your response in a proper way will keep others from following a poor example. Now that's true for you as well as for the child, isn't it? But let's say that the child has a younger brother. He is the lame that can be turned out of the way if the older brother doesn't learn to properly respond. I learned a lot from my for my sister in terms of what not what I couldn't get away with. And uh, she, of course, was a pretty good girl, so uh, her example wasn't as strong, perhaps, as my example was. Because my other brothers, they, they learned, they saw what I, I got in trouble all the time, you know. And uh, I learned that my parents wouldn't let me get away with anything. They took care of everything. It was always amazing because I thought I'd gotten away with things. And then I'd get caught on something else, and then they would move backwards through the list. And all these things I thought I got away with. I said, well, son, now there's some other, while we're at it, there's some other things we need to deal with. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And they keep moving through. They never missed a thing. I don't think I ever got away with anything. I got more spankings than the rest of the family put together. That's nothing to be proud of, but it was a fact. They didn't give as many spankings because they learned from my example, poor as it was. But you see, what you want to do is you want to teach, first of all, to make straight paths for your feet. In other words, teach them not to stumble on this thing, not to cause, cause them to fall. Learn from it. Grow from it. Let every stumbling block become a stepping stone for them. And let them begin to learn through the experiences of life how to live for God. And don't make provision for the flesh. Teach them that as well. Don't make provision for the flesh. Don't, don't be looking for loopholes in the law. Proverbs chapter 4, an interesting text. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 through 27. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a crooked mouth, a perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyelids look right on, and let thine eyelids, the eyes look right on, and the eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. 
That's an elaboration on what's being said in this particular text. Now, of course, there's a lot more. We could talk about what Scripture says about what a straight path is and what you are to do and all of those things. Those are things that you could teach the child. Teach them to make straight paths for your feet so you don't lead the lame astray. The third thing is bring about healing. Notice it says, let it rather be healed. Bring to bear the word of God upon the hurt so that it's put into divine perspective. And what God will do is bring about healing. We were sharing a very, very important word in our class on Wednesday night a couple weeks ago. It's only used once in the New Testament, but it's very, very significant. It says that Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. And the word servant comes from a root that means to heal. And it's used and translated to heal or to cure. It's the word from which we get our word therapy. And the idea of that word is simply that Moses had a caring concern that brought about healing. The only place it's used in the New Testament. And yet, when you see the life of Moses, you realize how true that was. God wants you to have be that kind of a servant. One that brings about healing as you bring to bear upon the life the truth of God's word in your compassion. There's a fourth thing. Follow peace. A peace that is balanced by holiness. Follow peace with all men and holiness or sanctification without which no man shall see the Lord. It's not peace at any price. It's peace with holiness. God always balances truth with love and balances peace with holiness. He says, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. He balances it. He brings it into focus. Keep in mind that God wants you to have peace. What's peace? Peace is the word Irene, from which we get the English name Irene. The name Irene, or the word Irene means literally to take separated factions and bring them together. It's translated in the seventh chapter of Acts to set at one again. And it was used to describe what Moses was seeking to do when he broke up the fight between the two Hebrew brethren. He was simply trying to set them at one again. He was trying to make peace. It means the restoration of relationships. When you set yourself out to uh, do something and bring peace, and blessed are the peacemakers, that's an attitude that God expects us to have as believers in Christ as a part of the perfections and maturity of the Christian life. Blessed are the peacemakers. And when you become a peacemaker, what you are trying to do is to bring together warring factions, to set them at one again, to bring back unity where there has been a breaking. That's, of course, very significant in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where it says that uh, if a husband or wife departs from their mate, that a brother or sister is not in bondage, that is, not enslaved, not enslaved in the sense that they no longer, no longer have a full responsibility to act as the husband or wife to that person who has departed. But, and everybody that reads that verse forgets the next verse. It says, your privilege is that you don't have to carry on continued responsibilities. However, you're called of God, and God has called us to what? Peace. God has called us to restoration. God has called us to take the warring factions and do everything we can to bring them back together. That doesn't sound like uh, permission to remarry to me, does it? It's a, it's a real, it's a clear passage when you put it in context. Because then it says, for how do you know but what you might be able to win that partner if you devote yourself to a rene, devote yourself to peace. You see, in a relationship between a child and a father, you have to bring about peace. It has to be peace balanced with holiness. You don't use dece deceit. You don't use de deception. You don't use guile. You don't, uh, uh, you, you don't uh, manipulate. 
You don't step out of your role as a wife, and the child shouldn't step out of his role as a child. He should learn obedience to the things that he suffers, even as Christ did. But not only that, there should be the trying for peace. Not peace at any price, but peace with holiness. You teach a child to do that very thing. Peace and holiness in perfect harmony. And you have to ask yourself, not only will this bring peace, but you have to ask yourself, is it in the framework of our being set apart as something sacred to God? Then, number five, teach the principle of grace. Now, it says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. The diligence that is required in understanding grace. I want to review it with you. You've heard me say it before. Don't want you to ever forget it. How do we view grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is God, all that God is free to do on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ. Grace is what God gives to you when you deserve his judgment. So therefore, when you teach a child grace, you begin by teaching him that he probably deserved far worse than he got. You teach him how abhorrent even sins of the thought life are in the sight of God. You see, someone told me one time that they had a problem with passages in the Old Testament. I said, oh, what, what problem? Well, they said, I can't believe that a loving God could ever condemn and consign innocent people to be slaughtered the way the Old Testament says God told the Israelites to do. They cannot conceive of that. Oh, I said, I can't either. I can't either. I said, oh, then you agree with me. I said, oh, no, I don't agree. I don't agree with you at all. I totally disagree. I agree with you on this point, that a holy God, that a loving God could never destroy innocent people. But the problem is, they weren't innocent. They weren't innocent. Who is innocent? There's only been one person since Adam and Eve, before their fall, that has ever lived on the face of the earth who is innocent. And that's Jesus Christ. And the innocent died for the guilty. Christ took upon himself our sins in his own body on the tree so that we could have his righteousness credited to our account. He was the innocent. We are the guilty. If God slaughtered all of us today, we'd get better than we deserved. The first breath that we drew, we were sinners. God in his mercy withholds judgment even to the place that it's obvious that a child before he comes to the age of accountability, if he were to die, he would go into the presence of the Lord. Six million of them are going to meet us in heaven's, heaven's gates that have been slaughtered because of abortion. They'll be there. Praise God for that. Scripture's clear on it. So God shows mercy in that. That's grace. But not only that, a child doesn't have to go very far before he begins to show he's a sinner. Have you ever see a child deceive you? You know, he scream like somebody's poked him with a pin, you know? And you pick him up and he goes, goo goo, boy did I fool you. Oh, you came running in here. I think that a child sometimes, you know, even at that age has a sense of humor and they see us breaking our necks to get into the room to see what tragedy has befallen the poor child and then he just looks and grins. That's deceit. And that's sin. And it doesn't take him long to get that into even a more practical framework. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And foolishness is bound in his heart. And what does he deserve? Hell. If God saves one, he's shown grace. He saves two, that's double. He saves three, that's even more. You see? Grace is unmerited favor. And you see, a child needs to be raised with the fact he deserves nothing. 
except hell. Please turn this cassette to side two for the conclusion of this message. Thank you. We, then, should show grace to others. So you think they made a mistake. Learn from it, grow from it, and show grace. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know, I, I deal with adults all the time. I don't have a whole lot of ministry right now to children and young people because we have other people specializing in those areas. But you know what I've discovered? Most adults don't know how to forgive because they were never taught to really forgive as a child. And they have a tough time. Don't you wish that someone as a child had taught you to forgive in such a manner that you'd never bring up the offense again? Don't you wish you'd learned that as a child rather than down the line having to struggle with it and having all kinds of bitter relationships? Do you understand what I'm saying? Grace. Soak yourself, saturate yourself with grace and teach that child what grace is all about. And that way you can lead him to Christ and then encourage him in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We need to teach more and more unmerited favor. So teach the principles of grace. I have a lot more I could share there, but don't have time today. Then, finally, don't teach them not to become bitter. Because if they become bitter, many will be defiled. Now, bitterness comes by a failure to discern the value of chastisement. That's the whole point of the passage. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And if you are exercised by it, it will bring the peaceable fruits of righteousness. It doesn't matter if you have unjust treatment. It will still produce fruit. And God allows unjust things to come into our life so that the fruit will be produced. And in producing of the fruit, then it keeps the root of bitterness out of our heart. When there is a root of bitterness, when we fail to discern the value and the meaning of chastisement, the end result of that is simply that people around us also get defiled. Bitterness is like cancer. It spreads. And you see, most, most uh, problems in, a, in any uh, group, let's say a, a Sunday school class or, or a whole church or um, in, in a... Uh, uh, an organization within a church or outside of the church or a parachurch organization or any of these things. Most of those things where there is real bitterness spread throughout that organization is simply because at one point, one person was unjustly treated and got bitter. Or at least they thought they were unjustly treated and they got bitter. And that bitterness led to bitterness on the part of another and another and another and another. And another. And pretty soon there's a whole spread of the cancer throughout the whole organization. And I've worked with that kind of thing. I've had to step into organizations and, and just uh, really uh, speak out on this thing and try to bring healing. And you know, as I tried to, tried to speak to individuals and tried to find the problem, you know what we discovered? We discovered that a little bitterness here, a little bitterness there, but you know it's hard to find that original point. It's like a like venereal disease, if you please, or they try to go back and trace to find the source of the thing. It spreads rampant, and it's almost impossible to find it because, in the first place, nobody wants to admit it. See. Nobody wants to admit that they were the original cause for all of this. And usually they're far removed from it by that time. But bitterness is spread. And usually if you work at it, you can trace it back to a single source. Very seldom do I find a bitter child who has not had bitterness in his home. Children usually don't get bitter. Or they have a tendency toward it and they can get bitter, but they usually don't get bitter unless they've had an example of bitterness. And by your bitterness, 
your children can gain bitterness. And by the child's bitterness, his children, even to the third and fourth generation. Tragic thing. Do you beware and be diligent, lest a root of bitterness spring up, because you failed to discern the concept of God's marvelous grace. Now those are six things laid out in this text that give you really an answer for those individuals that uh, really have gone through a bitter experience of chastisement or even unjust treatment. Now, of course, there's lots more that could be done and lots more that could be said. That primarily has to do with this matter of, of your responding to chastisement, maintaining a proper attitude so that your child will respond positively to the father's discipline instead of resisting. Now the second thing is that God gives both warnings and promises in regard to discipline. Both warnings and promises. We don't have time to touch them all, but let's just turn to a few if we can. Let's turn to Proverbs 22. We'll find four verses in Proverbs that we'll address ourselves to and go from there. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. And by the way, the word child there is the word that is uh, na'ar, it means really the child in the period from infancy to adolescence. It's kind of a hazy timeline there, uh, but it, it's speaking primarily of that child from his infancy up through his adolescence. And it says that foolishness is bound in his heart. And it'll still be there to some degree clear through adolescence. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Sometimes it's simply a matter that that discipline is needed. You know, they, in our society today, everything else is, one, is, is operated by switches. Why shouldn't we operate the child by switches as well? That's a good point to make. If you look at Proverbs 15, Proverbs 15 and verse 10, It says, correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. Now listen to me. Correction is grievous to those who are, are, are wrong. They're the ones that get upset about it. You see, the, the, the just, those that are right, those that are righteous and are suffering unjustly, they accept this from the Lord, or they should be able to. But when a person is wrong, he doesn't like discipline. He doesn't like to admit that he's wrong. So therefore, correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. But look at it. He that hateth reproof shall die. Now here's a principle. If the father doesn't correct him, the reproofs of life will. And you're not going to be able to protect him. The father treats him unjustly. He doesn't learn to respond to it. Maybe because down deep in his heart he has a guilt. Maybe the father spanks him because he did something wrong that he didn't do. But he knows there's other things the father doesn't know about that he's done. See? It's hard to respond properly to that discipline when you have guilt. And so therefore it's grievous to him. Because he's forsaken the way. He's not right. He knows that even though, the, even though the particular action of the father may be evaluated technically as being wrong, yet he still knows he's getting what he deserves. And he doesn't like it. But, listen, he is going to face the rest of his life the consequences of his own action. My father used to weep. He has a gift showing mercy and he used to weep as he'd spank me. I always felt that, you know, if it really grieved him so bad, he could quit any time, you know. 
It never seemed to work because he had a determination to be biblical in what he did. And he, so he, he'd whoop, whoop the daylights out of me. You know? He was very patriotic. He'd lay on the stripes and I'd see the stars. And he, he would tell me every single time he spanked me so I could never forget it, you know, because I got lots of them. He would tell me, son, it grieves me to do this. But if I don't spank you, God will. And God has a bigger rod. Now you talk about uh, child abuse. And I certainly am not for it. There's a proper way to apply the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge. But I believe with all my heart that even if the child is abused, it's nothing compared to what the reproofs of life are going to do to him if he doesn't learn from the correction. You know, they're talking today a lot about child abuse and how it leads to certain things, leads to criminal activity and so on. And to a degree, that may be true. But they're also hiding a lot of statistics. There are a lot of children who are abused who have turned out brilliantly because they properly responded to the discipline that they had as unjust as it was. And so therefore, they're ready for the reproofs of life. They know how to respond to unjust treatment. And you see, it's far, it's far more important to me that a child learn to respond to the unjust treatment he receives than it is that, we just, that he just escaped from those circumstances. Because you see, the marvelous thing is that the rod applied to that child is going to make that person a person of character if he's taught along with it to respond properly to it. If I were a wife and my child were, were being beaten that way, I realize now that the wife has an obligation legally to report that. And we're under that law. We have to live with it. But at the same time, even if, even if the, the father were taken away by the authorities, I would work with that child to help him see that the important thing is not that they took his father away. The important thing is that the child learn to respond properly to that discipline and gain everything he can from it because it's going to help him. God knew. You see, there's the thing. God always knows what the child's going to face in the future. When you know that, then you'll be God. And then you can play God. Okay? But since you don't know that, you're not God. Therefore, you had better prepare the child because God sought to prepare him through what he's suffering right now. I don't care whether it's illness. I, I think of the Rosing baby and the fact that they, I don't know how many of you know the Rosings, but they, she was told that there was no way that she or the baby could survive uh, after she had what was an apparent miscarriage and yet still was pregnant. And they said, we have to abort the baby. She said, no way. No way. And uh, they said, you're crazy. I got angry with her. She said, absolutely not. She said, I'll, I'll give my life. If that's what it takes, I'll give my life to at least try to bring this child to full term. They said, well, the child won't be normal. Then we'll live with an abnormal child. We'll take it as from God. If God wants to take this baby, God can do it. It's easy for God. And she fought the thing. And fortunately, her husband stood with her on it and went through the thing. And now that's the cutest little bouncing baby you ever saw in your life. And they are using this as an opportunity to teach this child. Every whispering breath they give to that child, they're going to be reminding him he is a special child. Because the society in which we live wanted to take his life and God spared him just like Moses. Just as surely as Moses was snatched from the jaws of death, this child was snatched from the jaws of death. Using that as an advantage. It's a terrible thing. But it's going to be a wonderful thing for the child. 
Kurt was almost born dead. A very emergency situation. It just everything happened so fast. I didn't know what was happening. I was one of these dumbfounded fathers standing there pacing the floor with all the rest of them, you know, and all of a sudden the doctor came in, thrust a piece of paper in front of my hands and made me sign it and told me something that I didn't understand. He used language that I'd never heard before. I didn't know anything about bringing babies into the world, you know, and uh, then he came out and said it's all over and everything's fine. And I found out later that I almost lost Gloria and almost lost Kurt. He's a special child. Every time we've had an opportunity, we've told him, Kurt, God has spared you for a special reason. God has something for your life. Is it any wonder he's turned out the way he has? Well, he's still in the manufacturing process, finishing touches yet to be done, but he's coming along. You would have been thrilled. To, I don't want to be bragging on my kid, but a wise son makes a glad father, you know, and I'm a glad father. Um, but Sunday night here, he did a, a one-man one play on the life of Hudson Taylor that he wrote himself, did all the research himself, and acted it out himself. And then he, after he did it here on Sunday night, he did it at the school on Tuesday. And he wouldn't believe the impact that that has made on the lives of a lot of the kids and a lot of the people. The teacher came up to him yesterday and he said, he happens to be a Jewish man, he said, Kurt, he said, I was thinking about what you did yesterday. He said, uh, I, I really began to think that that probably was more important to you spiritually than it was grade-wise. Kurt says, absolutely, that's right. <laughs> but, you know, Kurt has learned and through these experiences to walk by faith and to, to really trust the Lord. He's had some unusual things happen. You know, he, he really was squared away with the Lord and living for the Lord and determined to serve the Lord, and he broke his neck. You know, it doesn't look like that's fair, does it? But he gained from it so much. God built maturity in his life because he'd been trained from his youth up to respond. And you see, when I think of what he has gone through and the way he's learned to respond to the reproofs of life, I get excited about his future. Because he is way ahead of a lot of kids who don't know how to respond to the reproofs of life. In fact, he's way ahead of a lot of adults that never have learned how to respond to the reproofs of life. He learned from an early age that life isn't fair, but that God is. And that he'll be constantly hitting circumstances that to the human eye do not look fair. But he's learned that God is. Oh, he's not done with his reproofs. But praise God, he knows that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for, uh, for, for doctrine, for instruction, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That for doctrine, for reproof. That's the one I was looking for. I couldn't find it. For doctrine, for reproof. For correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God might be mature, fully equipped for every good work. He knows that. See, and I, I just believe there's a lot of things have happened to Kurt that have been unfair. Really unfair. Because he's a preacher's kid. People have expected more of him than was really fair. They wouldn't let him be a normal kid in a lot of circumstances. People critical and all of that kind of thing. As he grows up, there always were a few that are that way. I read this morning that what, what we think is that uh, God is the performer in a drama. God is the performer and that we are, uh, that the preacher is the actor and that the congregation's a critic. And they, it's the other way around, really. The, the uh, congregation are to be the performers and the pastor is to direct the performance. And God's the critic. Now, people don't learn that. And sometimes that kind of thing really caused grief in Kurt's heart. And Kurt would come home and he would start talking about 
so-and-so said such and such or did such and such, and we would just tell him, son, you realize what you can learn from that? But they weren't fair. Life isn't fair, but God is. See? He's learned it. You know, the case isn't closed yet. He's still in the process of construction. But I'll tell you, he is ministering to hearts and lives of people the way I could never have dreamed. And going to Moody Bible Institute next year, and I'm sure they're going to do, do a good job of putting some finishing touches on. We're almost finished with our part. The jury is still out as far as his future is concerned, but I've got no qualms, no fears, because he's become a wise son. He and his girlfriend in the last several months have memorized, uh, I think he said last night, 51 verses of Scripture just in recent days. Committing God's Word to his heart. I tell you, it's exciting to see what God is doing. But in any event, I could talk all day about that. I'd better get off of this. Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest with him with rods, he shall not die. Isn't that great? Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from Sheol, the place of the dead. Want to deliver your, soul, your son's soul from hell? Let the rod be applied. And finally, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up the child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. The word train is the word shenak, which means to narrow, to initiate. It's the idea of discipline. The root comes from the, the verb to strangle. And uh, it meant the idea of putting something into the mouth of the child to teach him how to suck. And the, the midwife used to used to swab his the inside of the mouth of the newborn child with a substance that would begin the sucking process so he'd be ready for the mother's breast and this is the concept what you do is whet the child's appetite for righteousness for the things that are right and good you train him you it also was a word that was used for the the rope that was placed in the horse's mouth to steer him on his way so therefore, it's that whole idea of training that child when he, in the way that he should go, or literally according to his way. It's not only the fact that we train him the way that he should go, but we train him within the framework of his own personality. You don't treat all of your children the same. You don't treat them equally. Some children demand more attention than others. And you, as a wise parent, recognize what the child needs and train him accordingly so that he learns the things that he should know. And when he is old, that is, has hair on his chin, the word literally means that, he has, when he has hair on his chin, then he will not depart from it. Now that's a proverb more than a promise. We should recognize that the proverbs were principles, not so much a bona fide promise. But the key to the thing is, that if you do what you ought to do with that child, you can be certain that he will be stabilized in those ways. Now that's some tremendous things, and there's a lot more. We, if you're interested, we're doing a series on the home and the family in the church right now on Sunday nights, and, uh, and we will be talking more about some of these things in some detail, and those tapes will be available even if you don't attend Valley Church, if you're interested in getting them and hopefully maybe be available in albums ultimately like the, uh, the Godly Seed tapes are now. And, uh, but in any event, we'll be talking and dealing in depth with some of these things concerning the rearing of a child and so on. So just trying to teach people a little bit how to make the child a lump in the throat instead of a pain in the neck. All right. There's one more thing that we have to get to in the last second here, and it's just this. The last one is this. 
A husband is grieved when a wife attempts to correct him in public. The wife may use jokes, cutting remarks in public to emphasize something she's been trying to change in her husband. And we don't have time to dwell on this, but I think that you can remember what we said in regard to the wife, and we can just reverse that. Actually, the husband needs to know how to respond. It's a signal that you've grieved him, or that, excuse me, that he's grieved you. He needs to understand that and know that, and perhaps because of his lack of response, he needs to read Ephesians 5 again and realize he's to love his wife, sacrifice himself for her, cherish her, nourish her, all of those things. But secondly, he also needs to know how to answer her when things like that take place. Soft answer turns away wrath and so on. I was hoping I have time. Let me just quickly give you the outline of it. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it talks about the wife. It says that she's to have a meek, quiet spirit. She's to have trust or literally hope. Elpizo is the word for hope. These three things become key. A meek spirit means that you trust God that he's going to work this thing out without your help. A quiet spirit is an inner peace that is so solid that it produces outward tranquility in the midst of difficult times. Hope is expectation according to the promises of God. And you can have real hope. When you have meekness, quietness, and hope, then you will also have respect and obedience. Respect for your husband and obedience to him. The word obedience, by the way, is hupe kusin. It's a word that means uh, from hupo koeo, uh, which means literally to hear under. Not only a matter of doing what he says, it's a matter of being alert to what he is saying. It's a, a very strong word for obedience. And you'll show that respect by calling him Lord. I don't mean that literally you call him Lord, although that wouldn't hurt you either. But Sarah showed what God had done in giving her meek, quiet spirit and hope by giving her the kind of respect so that she called Abraham Lord. And then it says, whose daughters are ye? Whose daughters are ye if you do well? What does it do well? Well, to do what the passage tells you. Don't adorn yourself with outward apparel and all of those fancy things, but adorn yourself with a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. That's what doing well is. Obey your husband. Respect your husband. Call him Lord. And if you don't give way to hysterical fears, if you don't panic. The thing that happens, a lot of gals panic. And when you say something cutting to your husband in public to get his attention, so that all will see and all will know and you'll finally have that leverage you need to bring about the change. It's because you've panicked. It's because you said, God, you, you're not doing it. I'm taking over. Any wife that would do that, it's because she's taken over and not trusted God. Please be patient. God's not finished with me yet. Your husband has a little sign hanging around his neck Invisible, but visible to the discerning eye under construction. God's not through with him yet. And I'll guarantee you that in the process of building into his life, God will use his obnoxious ways to build into your life. Just like he uses your obnoxious ways to build into his life. But God is not pleased. God is not pleased when you respond improperly. He wants you to respond biblically in everything that you say and everything that you do. Well, it's been a good year. Thank you so very much for your kind attention, good attendance, and most of all for the way you've responded to God, letting me be just an instrument that God uses. If anything's accomplished, your heart and life, remember, He's the only one that's worthy of the glory. It's God who works in you, both to will and do his good pleasure. And I'm just a common clay pot. We have a treasure in this earthen vessel. So you glory in the treasure and glory in the God who made it possible. Don't glory in the servant or the clay pot. Let's pray. Father, you've done a work in our heart during these days been good for me as a husband to review these things.
because I need to learn to be the kind of husband you want me to be, the kind of father I ought to be. It's been good to review them with these gals who have been so responsive and put into practice day by day the things that have been taught. How we praise you, Lord, for that which you've provided in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, open doors of ministry to each one of these gals, to their own children, to their own husbands, and to multitudes of others. Lord, considering the time that they've been saved, they ought to be teachers. Help them not to be like those that have need that someone teach them again the first principles of these things. Rather, Lord, help them to know their ABCs so well they'll be able to teach someone else and teach them to teach someone else and multiply the word to the hearts and lives of multitudes. Lord, help them to be exercised by the things that they've learned so that they build a maturity and are able to discern good from evil. Grant to us, Father, a very special time as we prepare throughout the summer for the fall program. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be alert to others that have needs that would be fit in to the program that is going to be put together with the classes for Discovery next year. And Lord, we pray that you will help all of us to just pray for one another throughout these summer months. Make it a productive summer in terms of studying your word, in terms of growth, in terms of witnessing. We pray that each of these gals will go back to their respective churches and minister the hearts and lives of people there. Help them to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ, we pray. In Christ's precious name, amen. I intend to say this earlier, and I forgot. And uh, Would you just share with me in, a, in prayer? Uh, in the fall, I've been invited to present a paper on a national symposium on divorce, on the divorce issue. Uh, they are interested in having uh, my uh, study in terms of this subject presented to um, a group of Christian leaders from across the country that will gather to try to come to some definitive concepts concerning the subject of divorce. There's a great concern in our country about the change that has come in evangelical circles and their attitude toward the subject of divorce. And uh, they see it as a deterioration of standards. And there's all of a sudden, even guys that have been defensive on that issue have suddenly come to the realization that something has to be done. We have to get back to a biblical standard. And they've asked uh, me, I know, and Charles Ryrie from Dallas Seminary, and we uh, have uh, similar points of view on this. I don't know who else they've invited or what other points of view will be presented. But uh, the board has given me permission to, to minister in this way, and I think we ought to really join. I'm going to get to our congregation as well to really join us in prayer that God will not only give me liberty in that, but also that there will be a, a change taking place in the situation in the world today as a result of that ministry. So pray for us, won't you? And pray for us throughout the summer. We need your prayer and need your help in this way. And, uh, we'll see you in the fall, okay? Blessings on you.